Let's continue on with our second scripture reading for today, which will be Psalm 23. Uh, you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 862. 862. And we're going to read Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are the good and loving words of our Lord. May they follow after you all the days of your life. During my time as a missionary in Thailand, one thing that stood out to me about Thai culture was the importance of the meal. Food was the medium in which people interacted with one another, where the bonds of family and friendship were formed and strengthened. While to some extent this does occur in America as well, what I witnessed in Thailand was more pronounced. Much like Thailand in the ancient Near East, the dinner table was a place where all the important things took place. A banquet or a feast was more than just a celebration, for it communicated something important as well. These lavish dinners, they would last for days, characteristically being held in the evenings after a day's work was complete. The guests, they would come and recline on bed-like cushions, offering rest for their weary legs. And a low table was before them, where food and drink were in abundance. On very special occasions, beef or lamb was a meat of choice. Serving such a meal demonstrated the graciousness of the host. Bread and salt also, <clears throat> also had special meaning as they represented peace and hospitality. And wine was always served in abundance so much so that these banquet halls became known as houses of drinking. Such a feast was useful for sealing new friendships, or for celebrating victories, or for other joyous occasions. And we still see great meals like this today, most commonly at weddings. The union of the bride and the groom is celebrated with choice foods and champagne. Two families are they're brought together. New friendships are formed. And a future hope is declared. And all of this happens as they sit down together for a meal. 
Last week's sermon was titled, The Lord is My Shepherd. Today we will speak of, The Lord is My Host. Now if you recall, David is the author of the psalm. And so, being that he was both a shepherd and a king, he would have, he would have been familiar with both metaphors. In verses 1 through 4, we saw how the, the sheep find contentment and peace because their good shepherd is with them. They can rest knowing that all is well because he took them to green pastures and still waters and their souls are restored. And when it comes time to journey again, the shepherd leads them in straight paths, protecting them from the dangers that are all around. Still, the time comes when all sheep must lie down for that eternal sleep. Death comes to each one. Yet they will fear no evil, for their shepherd is right there beside them. The psalmist now directs our attention to a new scene, that of a banquet hall, a grand feast. No longer is a relationship between that of a sheep and his shepherd, rather it is of a guest and his host. While the shepherd emphasized the care and the protection that God brings, this new image of the host speaks of the, the close fellowship and the welcoming into the family of God. With this in mind, let's, let's dive in. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. If you remember from last Sunday, we saw a switch in the pronouns that David uses from verse 3 to verse 4. David began by using the third person, he, as he started this psalm. He then transitioned into the more intimate second person using the pronoun you. And we see this same closeness in verse 5. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. No longer is David talking about God. He is talking to God. The host is right there before him, in his presence. So who is it that prepares this meal? It is Yahweh, not David. God is the one who is the host. And as the host, he will be the one that prepares the food and the drink, setting the table for his guest. In the ancient Near East, when a new friendship or a new covenant between nations was made, it was typically celebrated over such a meal. The head of a vassal state would be presented as the overlord's guest of honor. This is what we see taking place in this passage. David, king of Israel, has pledged fealty to Yahweh. 
No longer is there enmity between God and man, but peace has been made. A covenant has been set forth, ending the conflict. This is why David says that this table is prepared in the presence of his enemies. The host is making a public statement. There is now a right relationship between the king and his guest. From this day forward, David is under protection of the host. In other words, any attack on David is an attack on God. In the shepherd metaphor, we we saw the comfort that came from the rod and the staff. The enemies that lurked in the valley of the shadow of death would think twice before attacking the sheep because the shepherd was a formidable opponent. Yet now we see the power of a king. To lay a hand on David was tantamount to treason, and the punishment was death. For this king has ultimate authority. So if an enemy has been declared a friend, then a friend he is. End of story. David goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. Now, anointing is a smearing or a rubbing of oil on a person. There were typically three main uses for anointing. The first being the healing for wounds and aches and sickness. The second is to set a person apart for a special office, such as a king or a prophet or a priest. This oil was symbolic of God's authority being upon that man. That is why David would not strike down King Saul when he had the chance, for he knew that God's power rested on the king, and that to strike him down would have been an assault on God's character. Finally, anointing was also done when embalming the dead. Special oils would preserve the bodies for long periods of time. Such an act represented the the belief that the resurrection would happen one day. That God would once again breathe life into the body. Yet the imagery that's used here in this psalm shows us a fourth use of anointing. An honored guest at a banquet would be given oil to put on his head as a show of hospitality. With the the dry heat in the ancient Near East, it was common for for one's skin to be dehydrated and cracked. So oil was useful in battling the elements. It would act like a, a lotion soothing the skin. So for a king to anoint a person's head with oil symbolized welcome and prestige. It was rejoicing over this newly formed friendship. David follows this thought by saying, my cup overflows. Not only is there an abundance of food, but the wine flows freely as well. 
Wine was a symbol of life and merriment. Life and the fact that water was scarce and not always safe to drink. So wine was a common source of sustenance among the people. And merriment and the fact that wine would bring cheer to those who drank from it. So when David says here that his cup overflows, he is saying that the host gives abundantly in life and joy. He's hinting at the fact that the host offers a never-ending source of nourishment and happiness. Which leads us into verse 6. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The host doesn't give out his blessings just once, but he is continuously, day after day, putting forth his goodness and his love upon David. In fact, they they chase after him in pursuit. Now, the Hebrew word that the NIV translates into love is the word wahesed, and it has a connotation of a covenant loyalty. Different translations disagree of how best to phrase this in English. For instance, the King James and the ESV, they use the word mercy, while the NASB chooses loving kindness. And the HCSB, it goes with a two-word combination, faithful love. I think this last one may be the closest to the original meaning, for it speaks of the covenantal aspect of this word when it uses the word faithful. What is described here in this word, wahaset, is, is something that is fundamentally part of God's nature. This is who God is. He is faithful in his promise of love. So we see both goodness and faithful love pursuing David. The the verb to follow is, is commonly used in the Old Testament as well to describe the actions of soldiers who give chase. For instance, in Exodus 14, verse 23, we read this. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Just as the armies of Pharaoh raced after the Israelites, so too goodness and love of the host pursues his guest. It's as if they are soldiers chasing after a fleeing enemy. Yet David is not an enemy. And he does not look to flee. He rejoices in the fact that he is in God's favor. And it goes on to say, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Finally, we see the the setting of this great banquet. The house of the Lord. This, This phrase, the house of the Lord, was a familiar term to every Israelite at the time. It was a common name used for both the tabernacle and later on, the temple of God. 
Now, David had never known the temple, for it was his son Solomon who had built the first one. So we have to infer here that David was thinking about the tabernacle. Just like the temple, the tabernacle, it was divided into three sections. There was an outer court where entrance was granted to everyone. Then there was what was known as the holy place. This was a tent within the outer walls, a place where priests could come and go, fulfilling their duties. And finally, there was the innermost sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, the Holy of Holies. It was there that the the high priest would enter only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that were committed in ignorance. The tabernacle was a place where the iniquities of the people were washed away and peace and restoration between man and God was made. The covenant which God had given to Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai was represented in this house of worship. Yet as great as this tabernacle was, listen to what the author of Hebrews has to say about the house of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of of this creation. And again in verses 23 and 24, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Now there is a lot that God is trying to communicate to us in these verses, more than the simple point that I want to make to you here. But what I want you to see is that the the tabernacle and the temple for that matter, they were just copies of the divine throne room in heaven. They were man-made structures established by God, pointing to a greater reality. So when David, in Psalm 23, verse 6, says, He shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he was not speaking of a bunch of poles holding up a tent. Nor is he speaking of a man-made building constructed from massive stones. He was looking forward to the true dwelling place of God, that heavenly kingdom where goodness and love pursue its inhabitants, the land where God makes his dwelling among his people, where peace and harmony radiate like the sun. You may be asking yourself, how can this be so? 
How could David, a man who has been dead for nearly 3,000 years, dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 22, verses 31 and 32. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Dear friends, David is not dead. Yes, his body has decayed, but his spirit lives on with Christ. And he will one day lay claim once again to a real body when Christ returns. We see this same type of thinking in Paul's words to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 5 say this, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made for us, who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Brothers, sisters, there is a greater reality than what you see around you. If you are in Christ, then God has prepared a feast for you. Jesus gives you the bread of his body. He fills your cup with the wine of his blood. Christ welcomes and honors you with his anointing oil. He declares you as a friend in the presence of your enemies. And, he, and as he does all of this, he takes away the guilt and the shame that you experience in this life. For he pursues you with his goodness and his faithful love. For you have entered into a new covenant with him. And this new covenant is not like the old which only pointed forward to that greater reality. Rather, this covenant took upon flesh and blood, becoming a man. Jesus is not a copy. He is the real thing. You see, Jesus, he fulfills both aspects. He is the high priest and the sacrificial lamb. He offers to you a greater promise than the one that was given at Mount Sinai. As we read in our first scripture reading, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, 
and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. God has done all of this for you so that you might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David did not put his hope in in any earthly realm that, that he ruled over. He looked to that eternal kingdom where he would be in the presence of his God, where goodness and love pursued him where his cup overflows, where the host anoints his head with oil, and where the table is set before him, full of food, and the presence of his enemies. David looked to Christ, his Lord and Savior. He looked to his host, for his host is his heavenly home. If you are in Christ, God is your dwelling place as well. He has prepared a banquet welcoming you into his family. He chases after you with his love and his goodness. And he offers to you eternal life. So recline at the table. Partake of the bread and the wine. For the Lord is your host. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that when we come to the end of the road, to the, the end of our weary lives, you will set a banquet feast before us. For your son died for our iniquities, removing the sins we have committed against you. The accusations of our enemies will, will be silenced, for we have your son. We have Christ as our advocate. And we have your Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. All this is possible because of your goodness and your faithful love that pursues us. For we too shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name, amen.